0: I'm Chris Farrell from the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast, a wacky weekend morning show, part
1: of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows
0: over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Intellectual Podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. I'm your host, David S. Dawson. I'm a filmmaker in San Diego, California, and I started The Intellectual eight seasons ago because I love exploring the stories of how people who pursue creative endeavors get to where they are. The conversations in each episode are not interviews. We strive for a more casual chat with our guests, and we let the natural flow of conversation run its course as much as we can. This often leads us into surprising territory, not just for you and for me, but often the things we explore surprise even our guests. We often follow up our conversations with our guests on the Clubhouse app, So please join us on Clubhouse. You can visit our club page by visiting us online at intellectualchats.club. And if you need an invite to the app, be sure to check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts at The Intellectual regularly, as we post links to our discussions there with invite codes. If you enjoy this conversation, I hope that you'll subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. We're easily found if you search The Intellectual Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Now, let's get on with this week's chat with another amazing creative. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The
2: intellectual
0: podcast starts now.
2: All right, so David, uh, should I go ahead and bring us into our intro?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we've just kind of just been rolling into talking uh, today. Well, all right. so you want to just go ahead and start asking questions, Whitney, you go yeah, right ahead.
2: I can just start asking questions. So, Gerald, um, ah. you wear a lot of hats, man. You're a producer, an actor, casting director. Where did you start? Director
3: now, too, from what Director,
2: yeah, director. Yes,
3: yes. That was yeah, my that 2020 edition.
2: <laughs> um, so where did you start? Did you go to school for all this? Did you fall into this career? Were you always like, you know, five-year-old Gerald was like, I'm going to be a producer.
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, at the core of it, when I look back, I've been a performer my whole life on some level. So whether it was like doing tricks on my BMX bike, which is a form of performance, to Mm. being in a school play when I was in sixth grade, to becoming a break dancer and, you know, I was in a rap group. And then then I got and became a DJ and had a ton of success as a DJ, toured all over the country played with Sammy Hagar and Brenda MC and all kinds of amazing, amazing artists. So um, I, I, I don't wanna say I really had much formal training coming into it. It was just, I was always on some sort of a stage. Um, hold on, my, uh, my light just went out. There we go. Um, but I was always on some sort of a stage. So um, I, for a long time was DJing, professionally making a lot of money, be, having a ton of success. I was the DJ of the year one year. Um, There's just a bunch of stuff going on, but I wasn't fulfilled. So I started doing a bunch of soul searching, trying to figure out what I really wanted to do for the next, you know, 30 years. Um, and this idea of acting kind of kept popping up and I was like, you know, maybe I should do it, maybe I shouldn't. And I finally just got real clear with myself and I said, look, and I, talk, I sometimes talk to myself very bluntly because I need to hear it that way so that I kind of act and I kind of said look either you go pursue this or right now today you say you're choosing something different and you never ever allow yourself to say would have should have or could have ever and I sat there for a day or two and I was like I can't say that so I'm gonna go pursue this and a year later I was a year and a month later I was wheels down in LA having sold a company that I owned and kind of changed my whole life.
2: So where were you so, coming from to, uh, you said that you, you moved out to LA where are you coming from?
3: Well, I'm originally from Southern New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. So I'm a Philly, I'm a Philly boy. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I had a lot of success in in DJing and was, a you know, lived in Philly my whole life, but I had wanted to move to LA since I was like a, like a kid. So it was kind of like, something that was delayed that I should have probably done six, seven, eight years earlier. And I just finally said, okay, now's the time to do it. And, you know, got here and like immediately, almost immediately um, I was like, Oh crap. Like, what did I do? Um, It was kind of like, it was, it was, I was overwhelmed and was getting zero results and uh, was kind of like, you know, shell shocked. And I had to kind of go back to the drawing board and I said to myself, okay, stop. Just because you've had success in DJing, don't have any ego, don't have any expectations. Like that's a different industry. And now you're in LA, which is like, you know, the height of the heights of the competition and the success levels and all that. So you have to approach this from a standpoint of, you know, nothing, start from zero and go to work, which I knew how to do that. Like I knew I had a great work ethic and I knew how to do that. I didn't know exactly what to do. And one of the reasons that led me to that was I got to LA and was like, Oh yeah, I got some DJ hype. So maybe people care. And like, people didn't care at all.
1: (laughs) And it was worse than
3: they didn't care. Like if somebody tells you they don't care, at least they're engaging you in a, in a dialogue, you, I would send a picture in or whatever to a casting breakdown. And it was like, it never got there. I just got ignored. Yeah. So being ignored, makes you feel invisible, which I think is 10 times worse than hearing the word no. Because if you tell me no, we can have a conversation about it or I can go, oh, okay, that's why you're not doing it. Let me show you why that doesn't apply or why that's wrong. Or let me find a way to work around it, through it, over it, under it, however I have to do to push through to get what I want, right? Um, but when it's no response, it's like you're standing there screaming at the air and people look at you like you're crazy because you're talking to no one. So, um <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I kinda, it a lot in
2: LA, actually
3: <laughs> it, it, ha- it happens a ton and a lot of people don't know how to kind of handle that and it took a minute for a minute i think i was actually maybe even getting a little depressed and then i went wait a minute you need to humble yourself and approach this like you know nothing and and go after it and i did a real i don't know how i came up with this but i did a really simple exercise i wrote that i took a piece of paper and i split it in two and on this side of the piece of paper. I wrote down everything that I knew I needed to do. So it was like get new headshots, get an agent, you know, uh, get into an acting class. I might not know how to do those things, but I knew I needed to do those things. Right. So right. then on this right side of the paper, I wrote down every question or everything I didn't know how to do about each one of those. So it was like get new headshots. So over here it said, what photographer, what do I wear? Where do I get them printed? All, what style and look is going is 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 successful in L.A. right now? So the left side of the paper was about a half a page and the right side of the paper was like four or five pages of all <laughs> these questions that I didn't know the answers to. So, and I was feel I literally was feeling lost. So I told myself, okay, you can hold your head up high every day. If every day you wake up and you take one action on one thing on the left side of this list. So if it was find a photographer, I would, you know, go through at the time they had a, a book that they would, one of the re- reproductions would put out that would print headshots and they had every photographer pretty much in town was in this book. So it might be go through that book and go to the websites of 10 of these photographers and see what people look like me that they had and what the shots look like. And that I think that that was the right, sh- the right shot for me. One of them was get into an acting class. So it might be, Oh, go out to the class today or whatever. And, um, and then I did one thing on top of that is one of my things on the left item, action item was ask for help. And then on the right side was like, huh? who do I know that I can ask for help? Right. <laughs> so and I I didn't know a ton of people in L.A., but I knew a few. Um, most of them were not directly in the industry. Like one of my friends was a singer. One of my friends knew a lot of people, but was was a salesman outside of the industry. So I just called the four or five people that I knew in LA and I really just said, Hey guys, I came clean. I was like, guys, I moved here. There's been zero like traction. I've been in, and, and, and part of it was unrealistic expectation cause I had been there like three months, two months. Right? right. And I'm like, and I'm used to things moving for me. So I'm like, I've been here three months. I feel like there's no traction. I feel, I, I kind of feel a little lost. Um, do you know anyone that you trust? Cause I trust you that might take a five minute phone call for me. And I promise I won't take up more than five minutes of their time. That would take a five minute phone call for me and just let me ask them a few questions and get their, their insight on things. So, um, one of my friends, a guy named Mike Hines, who's from Delaware, he's a singer. Uh, he said, Hey man, I actually just took this commercial class and it was great. And the guy lets you audit for free and, and I didn't know about auditing classes at the time, but you could just go auditing classes for free. So he's like, and he talks about mindset. You'll love him. So I went and audited his class, ended up taking this class for a few months and like knocked off like two pages of questions that I had on the right side of my sheet off from that one class. Um, another friend of mine was like, yeah, I reached out to my buddy, Mark. He's been a series regular on a bunch of shows. He said he'll take a call for me. So I called him. We had a talk. He gave me some advice and we've since formed. And this is, 15 years ago. We've since formed a great friendship and Mark's been a series regular on six or seven shows. You might know him as big, big Mike on, um, on, uh, Chuck from CBS, uh, from NBC. Oh, so Mark Christopher Lawrence. Yes, my buddy Mark Christopher Lawrence. Lawrence, yes. Mark Christopher Mark Christopher yeah, Lawrence. He's yeah, he's on been on our show actually. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. So Mark's like, yeah. Mark's like one of my, my, my buddies now. And I just directed my first project last year and Mark was one of the lead actors in it and I made him a producer on the project. So, That phone call has led to a 15 year friendship. But all of that came out of me at one point going, okay, you don't know what you're doing at this level in this industry. Humble yourself, go ask for help and go to work. So that was kind of the genesis of it. And everything from there came from going to class and talking to people and then just getting in and doing the hard work as you know, whenever I could.
0: I think that's really commendable. I think one of the biggest problems people have is they're afraid to say, I don't know this. Yeah. and, and humble themselves, as you said, and, and ask for help. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it's such a bizarre thing. Cause you know, growing up, we're, we're taught to ask for help. If you don't know something, right. ask, but somewhere along the lines, like we do this, like switch flip where we become scared to admit that we don't know yeah. things.
3: <laughs> you know, Well, it's, it, it's funny. Cause that's like that, that pans out in my life to this very day. So like um, like I'll tell you two really quick stories about that. So I directed for the first time last year a project called Stacks. And I've been wanting to direct something for a while and I couldn't find the right thing. But on top of that, I was really fearful because I didn't feel I knew enough technical about camera and lighting. Mm-hmm. And while I know a ton about filmmaking in general and acting and casting, I was very worried in stepping in a director's chair because I have so much respect for that position of knowing enough technically so i was very fearful of that and then finally i and i went and read some books and then finally i just was like you know what let me ask some dp friends of mine certain questions that i have and i started asking certain questions and then when we ended up shooting stacks um thomas Hennessy, who was the dp on the project i just went to him and we have worked together he's been a camera assistant on a bunch of our stuff and i said hey here's what i'm thinking about doing and here's kind of the look and want that i look that i want i don't know how to get it he's like oh we do this, this and that and then he was in and I had to realize, like, I don't necessarily have to know all the technical. Yeah, your job as a director
0: I, is to convey what you want and then let those artists do
3: their artists and rely, rely on professionals. Yeah. 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 So there was that. And then the, the funniest story, though, is um, I was a casting executive at the asylum for about five and a half years. And when I first got my I worked there for a few months and they were trying to attach two star names to a film. And normally, uh, a guy named David Lapp, one of the producers, would attach those star names. And he came to me and the director about a week from shooting a film and said, hey, we don't have any stars. Like, we might lose our deal for this film. Do you guys know anybody? And I'm like, "Um, I can call some agents that I know. He's like, all right, here's how much money we have. Like, make some calls. So I call a couple agents. I talk to them. I'm like, listen, we need this. This is kind of the money we're talking. They were like, hey, how about this person? They made some pitches to me. So we end up settling in on a couple of, you know, recognizable actors and they're like, okay, we make an agreement on the money and I know how to negotiate. I make agreement on the money. And then they're like, Hey, um, we're going to need a triple banger and a photo approval. And, and they're giving me all these technical terms. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I had no clue what they actually meant. I had heard the terms, but I didn't really know what they meant. And this is a couple months into me, like being a casting director. It's funny, Uh, by total happenstance. So I was like, okay, um, yeah, let me talk to my team. I'll get back to you with smashers on that and see what they're willing to do. And I hung up the phone and I went into one of my bosses, uh, his name was Paul Bales, um, at the asylum. And I said, Hey Paul, um, I think I have this deal closed, but they want a triple banger and they want, uh, they want a photo approval. And they said something about 50% and, and, I was like, but I don't know what that means. And he like literally said, oh, this triple banger is a trailer. It means it's in the threes, half bangers, in the twos. And, you know, and it, it kind of broke some. And some of it I kind of knew, but there were just certain terms I didn't really fully understand. Right. Right. So then he's like, and you had a photo approval. You get this percentage of pictures that they have to approve. And then they tell you how many days they have to approve it, and how many passes. So I was like, oh, and I learned by asking on a regular basis, hey, I got us to this position. I don't know how to take the next step. Tell me before I screw something up. If yeah. that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's uh, it's one of the most frustrating things to me because I, I direct and I produce um, as well, and I, I always tell the people I'm working with, like, look, I'm going to give you all the room in the world to do your job to the best of your abilities, but when you hit a some when you hit something you don't know, don't make it up. <laughs> yeah, come yeah. come ask one of us and let us you know make sure that you're on the right track because it, it's far less painful to just deal with it in the moment than to have to go back and fix things
1: yeah, yeah. well and i, I or
2: think if much just... that especially in la comes from you have a lot of people who come out to la and are kind of fronting about where they are in the business and mm-hmm. so uh i, I think it, people get a little like shy with that but if you can find the right the right people like you, you found Mark, which he's an amazing he's sweet great person great. who will talk to you about anything that you don't know. Um, it, when you luck out and find the right people who want to guide you and be genuine teachers, then it becomes so much easier just to ask.
3: Yeah. Yep. And, and people don't realize like, the art of doing that is so powerful because it, it even though you don't know so many times we think not knowing something is a weakness and people are going to judge us or they're going to look down on us. but being able to say, Hey, I don't know this. Can you help me? Or sometimes it's not even that you don't know something. It's like, Hey, if you're overwhelmed, tell us now so that we can maybe give you support before you tell us the day of. And now it's a, it's a catastrophic failure that we have to kind of find a way to fix. And it's so much easier to get in front of things, which is, is kind of what you, you spoke to.
1: Yeah,
0: Absolutely. So when, uh, when did you start landing acting jobs in LA?
3: Um, well, it was, it was weird. So uh, there's two, I, for me, I feel like there's two waves. So, um, after that first like three months where I was almost depressed and I got humbled and I got to work, I actually left town for three months to go on a tour with Sammy Hagar for the summer. So <laughs> when I came back that, this is 2006, when I came back that September, I had actually already learned kind of how the business ran in LA in general parts. So I started submitting myself online through Actors Access and stuff like a week before I got back and literally the, I got back on a Friday, like early September, and I had auditions starting the next day in LA and like that next 90 days, I went on like, I, I, I used to, I have the number somewhere in my, in my date book, but I think it was something like I went on 120 auditions. I had, I I audited like almost every class in LA, and I booked like tiny stuff in like 23 different projects. And these were like non-union, some of them were no pay, but some of them were student films. Uh, one of them was a little feature film called Nailed. Um, but I just was, I, I literally went from like zero to like 100 in like 90 days. And for the next probably maybe like year or close to a year, worked in that world fairly consistently. And then maybe about three or four months into that, I started jumping into these sci-fi channel movies, um, and kind of popping up as a supporting character in a lot of those movies. And then there was kind of another wave because I had this, this crazy thing happen where I was the victim of an assault with a deadly weapon. I was driving on the highway in, in Los Angeles and somebody drove by my car and sprayed my car with bullets. And I actually was shot twice. Yeah. And I had to heal up from that. And I still wasn't even fully healed. But that happened on December 8th of 2008. And then literally about a month after that, month and a half after that, I booked my first network TV show, um, which was The Cleaner with Benjamin Bratt. That was A&E's first scripted series. So there was there was kind of like and then that kind of sparked me starting getting more co-stars in in network television and kind of sparked the next kind of wave of, 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 my television appearances and career.
0: What a strange roller coaster ride that must've been.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah. How, how do you,
0: how do you cope with the, the emotions from an incident like that? Like, w- was it hard to get back into working and everything? I mean, did, did you, did you lose the yeah. love affair with Los Angeles? I mean, it's, it's such um, a, such a random act of violence
3: and that's exactly what it was. It was just totally random, but it was to, 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 the emotional side of it was to be really frank. Like I was scared to death the yeah. first couple of weeks, like, like, you know, when, when someone literally tries to take your life, you start looking at everybody through a filter, <laughs> like who can sure. who you, who can you trust? Right. Oh yeah. PTSD has got to settle in real fast. Exactly. And, um, so I was really freaked out probably the first couple of weeks and then, but I, there was something that told me, like, I knew I was going to be okay physically, eventually. But there was something that told me, don't, like, don't leave. If you leave, like, because I'm, I'm kind of a little stubborn in this regard. I was like, if you leave, whoever that was wins. Right. So I was like, I'm not letting that jerk win, right? So that happened on December 8th. Um, I actually ended up coming back to Jersey that Christmas morning to surprise my parents. Cause I realized that even though they knew I was okay, them physically seeing me made a big difference for them. So I surprised yeah. them on Christmas and came home just so they could touch me and know that I was actually safe. Cause they were asking my, my roommate at the time, is he just being tough? And she was a licensed therapist, which was helpful. And they were like, is he just being tough? And they were like, she was like, no, he's actually really okay. Like, I can't believe how well he's handling it. But I was freaked out at first. And then I was like angry. And Um, I, when I came home from Christmas, I am, I legally owned a firearm that I had left in New Jersey. When I came home from Christmas, I brought it back because I was like worried about protection and left it in my house. But when I like first started really driving again, like there were a few days where I was like, yeah, this is coming in the car with me, which was totally illegal for me to do. But it was like, I was angry and I was like, if this happens again, I'm not going to be unprepared. And then I kind of sorted that out. Um, I did get a little bit of therapy around the PTSD of it and I sorted that out. And now the gun stays in a locked safe. Um, you know, but it was, th- there was a whole myriad of emotions and it lasted for, you know, that whole year mm-hmm. and the end of it. Well, I'm going to say the end of it. Cause that, you know, the, it, it's, it's part of who I am now, but a year later I was sitting at the, kitchen table one day and I was filling out something online and it asked for the date. And I went, what's today's date? And I picked my phone up and I saw the date and I realized that it had been one, it was the one year anniversary. And I like literally like stopped dead in my tracks and I was like, just profoundly like it was like a relief for me because it was the first time in a year that I had felt like I fully forgot about it. And the date is what reminded me of it. And I just kind of like cried and it was this big relief. And I kept that. It happened really quiet. Like my agent knew my manager knew my really super close three or four friends knew my roommate knew my acting coach knew and my parents back family knew. But that was it because I was concerned, honestly, as an African-American man, hey, is there going to be some stigma? Like, Mm. are people going to say, oh, that guy, he was involved in a shooting. He might be in trouble. We don't want to hire him, even though I did nothing wrong or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was worried about the stereotype. And but then that day, literally right after that moment, I wrote my whole story down, like every detail of what happened and the aftermath and how I had gotten to that point one year later. And I posted it on my Facebook as like a note. And it's literally said the real story of the day I got shot one year later and kind of put it out there for the world to see. And that was me letting go of the fear, the angst, the, I was like, okay, I, I feel like I'm past this Mm. and it made all the difference in the world for me. And I'm really like summarizing it, not going into detail, but it it was really a profound journey because I I was, I was, it took me nine months to fully recover from all of my stuff, but also, 45 days after I was shot, I appeared in a playoff Broadway in New York. And then right after that, I booked my first co-star with the cleaner on A&E. And it was just, and that kind of that year, everything started for me with network television. So it was really a profound period of growth.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
3: It sounds weird, but I, I don't, I would never say I wish that happened. But at this point in my life, like, I don't have any thoughts of, I wish that didn't happen. It's just part of my experience and what happened to me. And it ultimately was part of a huge growth spurt for me in my development as a person and as an artist.
0: Well, I imagine going through something like that and and being able while recovering from it to also propel your career forward, like you did has to give you a mentality right now that like you can do anything, right? Like, like you've got the Uh, strength in you to (laughs) overcome, right? Like,
3: Um, I think we do, but I think the, the challenges get bigger, the challenges get different. So, um, they don't, it doesn't, I don't think it gets easier. So, you know, uh, that's that, that's the thing. Like you can have your biggest success and then like your biggest failure right after that. And you're like, Oh my God. Like, so I think that, you know, yeah, we can we can sometimes feel like we're invincible, but I, I think that that for me, as I've gotten older, I'm like, you know what, if you, if you're not diligent, don't do your work, don't ask for help. Don't do all these things. Anybody can fail. You're going to fail again. You just have to keep getting up and you have to find a way to kind of keep everything moving forward. And, you know, I just went through a personal loss in that my father passed away in January and i ended up being the kind and he was sick for a month before that i ended up being the central person kind of for my family with the hospital and kind of kind of holding everything together and frankly there was moment after moment during that month and a half period of time where i had no clue what to do and i thought like i don't know what to do and like you feel a little bit like a failure and it was crazy because in almost every one of those moments, I, w- I, w- I, w- I literally felt like this is what happened. I went, what am I going to do? And as I let my hand down from grabbing my head because I was so stressed, like whatever the tool was that I needed, like literally got placed in my hand. Or as I went to respond to somebody, I was like, I don't know what to say. And as I went to respond, the right words just got placed in my mouth. Yeah. And... I think part of that came from my training as a producer and, you know, and doing all the projects that I've worked on for years. Part of that I think was my dad still teaching me and me still growing through everything he's taught me. So I, I, I don't know if, um, I hear a lot of people say things like, Oh, I'm fearless. I I just don't, I personally don't buy that anymore. Mm. I think that everybody has fears and it's, it's okay to admit that you have fears, but what you can always do is create uh, courage in the face of those fears and act in yeah. the face of those fears.
0: Yeah. I remember when my father passed away, the, the immediate aftermath of it was, I felt like a trapeze artist who suddenly realized the net had been pulled out from under him, you know, <laughs> and everything just seemed that much more dangerous suddenly. Yeah. And, and I was terrified. Um, yeah after my dad passed but you
3: but you walked you walked across it you flew across and, and yeah. you flew right yeah even, even though you didn't know so first off my con, my condolences on your father passing um I, well, again i know what you know, that's like and it's well. never difficult
1: yeah. No.
0: yeah yeah it's um
3: it, it,
0: i i tell people there's there's the you that exists before your parents begin to pass away and there's the you that exists afterwards and, and it's, yeah. there's, there's, there's just, there's just a, a series of growth that you go through as a, as a human being when the people who brought you in exit, you know, and yeah, it, uh,
3: I'm, I'm, I'm navigating that right now. So I, yeah. I understand a little bit of what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a wild period of growth, man. Like, <laughs> cause you're just kind of forced to do it. Like now, now it's like, okay, training wheels are gone. You know, yeah. <laughs> you got to stand on your own two feet and make it happen and, you know, yeah. ho- hopefully live up to whatever expectation you think they had for you, you know, like, um, but yeah, my, my condolences on, on your loss mm, as well. You. It's, mm-hmm. uh, thank you. it's never easy, even if you know, it's coming, even if, uh, you know, cause I've lost both my parents at this point and, uh, one was very sudden and one was like a 10 year degradation and neither one was easy. You know, it, yeah,
3: uh, it's, it's, there's just no way it's easy. Right. Yeah, it's um, just unfortunately, hard. you know, those things happen and you have to find a way to grow from them and move through them. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but that's uh, that, that kind of brings me back to this idea that like the, the the thought of fearlessness or the thought of like, I can do in Like, don't get me wrong. I believe we can do almost anything. Right. But there's a difference between, the, the work ethic and the faith and the learning and the humility that it takes to do anything and the arrogance of people just saying, I can do anything because I'm great, which yeah. is like cool.
0: I think what I was saying was was more along the lines of like the work you had to put in to overcome the physical aspect of being shot, the emotional aspect of being shot. Like yeah. that takes work. It takes oh, dedication yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and drive to make your way through that. And in the midst of all that, you managed to land these roles and and show up and still do the work and continue on. Um, like there, there's a mentality that comes from that kind of perseverance and and growth, I think, that kind of educates you going forward. Like you're going through something very serious with your dad passing, but I think maybe in the back of your mind, you know, I can do this. I can handle it. I can get through it. I just got to do the work. Right.
3: Like, I, don't, I Yeah that's true that's so true Uh,
1: just to interject uh my father is a uh, therapist and he specializes in ptsd Mm. and um the one thing that he's telling me is that all trauma is trauma and second that there is strength in vulnerability Mm. oh yes and um by just giving into the vulnerability and admitting that you know as you said ask for help, there is there is con- there's powerful strength in that, and just I commend you, I the your your ability to uh, work through this. And part of his therapy is acting lessons and acting uh, mm-hmm. acting exercises. Yeah. And you know the fact that you've been able to work through this, and that you know obstacles. You're not going to say I can handle a- anything. It's just that you have found a, a happy medium within your craft that moves you forward. Yes. And it's, it, you're constantly moving forward. And there is that so much strength and power in being vulnerable. And a yeah, lot yeah. of people uh, mistake for weakness. Whereas there's, you can gain so much strength from just admitting that there is an issue and being uh susceptible to coaching. Yeah.
3: Well, I think in some ways, like vulnerability is the gateway to like learning and growth. Exactly. If you think you know everything, you're never going to be open to actually learn something. No, <laughs> so. You learn
1: more. You learn more when you know that you don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well and and like even in storytelling, because we're all storytellers, right? In the yeah. end, like I find the characters that have vulnerability that have flaws and 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 real genuine issues with self, the most interesting characters to follow and, and tell stories of Um, even if you get into like the superheroes, like I find Superman interesting, but ultimately boring because he's perfect. right? right. All perfect. Like there's nothing wrong with Superman. So he's not very interesting to follow, (laughs) but you look at other characters that, you know, have dirty pasts and aren't perfect and they're far more interesting. I think that's why the Marvel franchise took off with Iron Man. You know, the Tony Stark character is wildly vulnerable in that movie um, because he's breaking himself apart and realizing what his flaws are and, and, and then having to feel the guilt and, and let all that wash over him. Um, so all of our own personal experiences, I think help make us better storytellers as we go forward too, because we, Take that vulnerability that we had within ourselves, and we can translate it into our work, which I think is really important.
3: Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, when it comes to storytelling, like let's let's be honest: like people don't really watch the movie or the television show to see the protagonist be successful. They watch it for two and if, if the movie's ninety minutes long, they watch eighty minutes of the protagonist primarily failing. And then at the very end, he wins or she wins. And then the movie's over. It's done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Once they figured it out, there's nothing else to tell. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Oh, Oh, they're not failing anymore. Oh, good for you. You made it. Let's move on. Right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we've kind of veered back into craft and what it is to be an actor. And you've told us a lot that you, you have gone to a lot of studios. You've trained at a lot of places out of all of those different pedagogies, what what have you kept for your process? Do you have a process for whenever you get a role? Like, here, you've gotten the role. They give you the script. Where do you start?
3: Well, specific to the acting side of it, um, I read the script, like, a ton of times. Because the more I read it, the more things come out. And I kind of read it, the first time I just read it almost for information, to understand the story and who this character is the first pass on who this character is in the story. Uh, Then I just keep reading it to learn more and more and get more into that world. And the more I read it, the more I'm like, sometimes I'll be three, four, five reads into a script and I'll go, Oh, why didn't I realize this about this kind of like little backstory thing? And that might completely unlock a character for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you can, I really don't think you can read the script enough, like just, Keep reading, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading, reread, reread. So that's one of the things that I do. And then I I go through and start to really break down almost like the the demographics of who my character is. You know, what's his age? Where is he from? What was his economic, socioeconomic uh, background as a child, because that really dictates so much of who we are and how we occur and how we look at the world. Break that down. I break down things like, you know. I try to create what was the music of the time of, the, of when the film occurs, what was the music of the time when this person grew up because I work musically from my DJ background. So there's a, there's a bunch of different steps I go through to just try to get in touch with who this person is. But the very first step is really understanding the text and hopefully what the writer intends for not only the story, but this character.
0: Uh, That's awesome. <laughs> what made you want to move into directing?
3: You know, I, I, I kind of feel like, um, I'm a creator, you know, people really ask me what I do now. And I kind of, just say I'm a filmmaker. So, um, I think a couple of things, one, I've worked with a ton of different directors. I've been involved in probably 300 projects or more between acting and casting and producing. I've worked with a lot of directors. And so one of the things was seeing how many times some directors didn't like directors and actors speak different languages. Mm-hmm. And so seeing that was like, I would literally be in callback sometimes with a director there and an actor in front of me. And the actor would do their take and the director would be like, yeah, um, yo, so this character and would tell them all this stuff and talk for like three or four minutes straight. And I would see the actor there like this, zone out. Yep. They didn't. They didn't. They had no clue what they were saying. But they, they also many times had this like, I want to please the people casting. So like, uh huh, uh huh. Like they're they're trying to make it like they get what you're saying. But you could see that they were like just didn't. And like, since I understood, I understood what the director meant. But I knew how to speak to actors. There'd be times when they like the director would talk for two or three minutes, and he's like, all right, let's do another take. So then I would look at the actor. I would literally go square, look them square on. The so. So we're going to pick up the pace and we're going to raise the stakes. And then the actor would go, Oh, okay, great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, because I spoke to him in a way that was distinctly how actors speak. Right. Right. Um, and they would be like, Oh, so w- when I started seeing that, I was like, oh, okay. And then, um, I would work with uh, some people and I would, they would say, Hey, I'm going to shoot this, this, and this. And they were like, Oh, you're and, and like, I wasn't trying to tell them what to do, but I was like, Oh, you're going to shoot this and then do this. And they're like, I wasn't thinking about that, but they were like, oh, I really like that. Yeah, let's put it on the dolly and keep coming in or something. And then I was like, oh. And then I kind of was like, wow, I think that there's stories that I wanna tell. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was the thing. And and I kind of hemmed and hawed about it in part because I was worried about that technical side of things that we talked about. But also like, I really don't wanna direct anything that doesn't like really speak to me, like on a visceral level. So when the idea popped up for Stacks, Literally, it was born out of me being angry. I saw something and I got really pissed off and was like, this is not right. And then I thought of like this weird way to speak out against that and talk about kind of everything that was going on with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, because there's a little bit of a of a hidden theme in there as well. And I was like angry and I was like, I'm going to write this. And I wrote it and like I was like, there was no choice. It was like, this is for me to direct. And that made me just say now's the time.
0: Right. Yeah. Sometimes the, the project picks you, right? Like yeah. the, the muse just hits and says, this is the one. <laughs> like,
3: Or maybe you, you pick the project to like, for me, like finally get off my butt and just go do it. Like, this is the one that said, go. And I, it picked me. And then I said, yeah, all right. It's time to stop, you know, stop hemming and on and go. Like I right. could have created something else that spoke to me. I just didn't, you know what I mean? Right. So it's kind of, a, sometimes it's both. I, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah.
2: So now, are um, you are you completely wrapped with stacks, or is that in post production? Oh yeah. So, process?
3: yeah, so yeah, uh, so so stacks. The the truth of it is, I saw something um, back last March. They had been talking about LA was going to go on lockdown, but they hadn't announced when. And I was a it was a Saturday, and I walked into a Costco. And a lady was coming, as I was leaving, a lady was coming down the aisle with a flatbed cart with packs of toilet paper toilet stacked, paper. like <laughs> four high, the whole length of the cart. And she was literally about five foot two and couldn't even see where she was going and was like almost killing people with this cart. Right. You're laughing because it's so ridiculous. Right. <laughs> but yeah. also and, um, like
2: real. Like I, I saw yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: So I'm thinking, oh, maybe she works there and she's taking it up front so people can just grab them because it's a popular item. No, she was going to get in line to buy like 15, 90 packs of toilet paper. Mm -hmm. And I saw it and I was like viscerally angry. I was like, that's so wrong. It's so rude. I, I wanted to walk up to her can I see your card, please? And then like snatch it from her and like scream at her and say, get out of here. You don't get any toilet paper. Never come back. I, like, <laughs> But rather than go to jail <laughs> and get arrested that day, I left and I went home and I stewed. And then I said, oh, you know, it'd be really funny. I got this idea if I wrote it like this. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Well, later that night, I talked to Mark Christopher Lawrence, who we talked literally probably once a week. And we were just catching up and it was like 11 o'clock at night he's like hey what you doing the rest of the night and i was like man i'm thinking about going to bed i might write this little short i was thinking about writing and he's like oh well what is it and i told him the idea and he goes oh man if you write that i want to be in it and mm-hmm. i was like what <laughs> and he's like yeah if you write it like when you write it let me see it i want to be in it so i was like oh okay and then um believe it or not after that call i got on the phone with another friend of mine and the same thing happened Star name actor that I'm not going to say because ultimately he didn't appear in the film, but I was like, I was like, he was, I was like, okay. So now it's like 2 a.m. and I'm literally about to go to bed. I turn off the light, I lay down, and something in my head said, "Dude, just bang out the first draft. It's only going to be five or six pages. Like, stop being lazy. Just do it." So get up, pull my my little Mac. Yeah, pull up my MacBook, and you know, I thought I was going to write this thing in like 30 minutes. I ended up like. Writing it and revising it, and writing and revising it. Like a couple hours later, I'm like, yo, this is dope. I print out the PDF, I email it to the both of them, and I go to bed. Well, I wake up at like 10 o'clock the next morning and I check my email. I check my email literally like the moment I check my text and my email almost the moment I wake up every day. Yeah. Me too. I check my email, and both of them have sent me an email back, yo, this is dope. I love it. When are we shooting? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So I call a DP that I know and I said, hey, I want to do this thing. Um, can you read it? Tell me what you think. He reads it, calls me back in 10 minutes, like, yo, let's do it. And I'm like, all right, well, when are you available? He's like, well, because of this like, COVID thing, like I'm free right now. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. And they had been talking about a lockdown, but they hadn't announced it yet. So I said, all right, let me call you back. I'll get back to you. And basically um, had the DP lined up called Mark back. And this other actor, like, are you guys available if I do it this week? They're like, yeah. So basically between Saturday night, when I, this event happened at Costco, 63 hours later, we started shooting. (laughs) I put this together in 60 hours, basically. We shot, we shot shot it in about nine hours and we wrapped, we shot at night on a Tuesday night into Wednesday. We wrapped Wednesday at like 4am and LA went into lockdown on Friday at 6 a.m or whatever time yeah so it was march
0: 18th when you uh when you wrapped
3: exactly because so, i wrapped on the
0: feature film i was acting in on the very same day
3: <laughs> yeah so we were one of the last yeah. productions in la and the funny thing is like we had to do it all by common sense but because there were no guidelines for COVID at that time really other than right. like a little bit of social distancing so we put together and had people come through and sanitize and limited our crew and who was in whatever areas and in our location was a parking garage so it was open air you know so we did all these things you had individually packed lunches and all that kind of stuff um it ended up working and you know none of our crew got sick none of our or crew got sick and we got this project in right before so my first month and a half two months of COVID, of, of quarantine was posting this film <laughs> and uh we got it done and then we we wanted to get it out as soon as possible so we dropped it in the middle of quarantine and uh, we just released it online
2: oh so it's out there the public can see it where yes. can people see it actually
3: um yeah if you go to stacksmovie.com that's the official site for the for the film and then there's a there's a, a a menu at the top and there's a button there that says watch stacks and you can watch it it's seven and a half minutes long there's a really big surprise oh. in the credits that i'm not going to tell you about um <laughs> uh, but uh i would love I, and i like constructive feedback so if you hate it i want to hear why um but please i would love for you guys to let me know what you think oh yeah you can count on check that.
2: it out after we're done
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs>
3: fantastic
2: well, so we've actually been talking for 45 minutes already yeah. ah. it doesn't feel like it it's just this has been so fun and so leisurely um but to wrap us up if people want to get a hold of you gerald uh, what are your contacts what are your social medias all of the things
3: Cool. Well, if anybody wants to get in contact with me, um, I'm I'm pretty much at Gerald Webb on all social media. The only one I'm not is Facebook. I'm the Gerald Webb. Facebook <laughs> frontslash.com, frontslash dot com frontslash V Gerald Webb. Uh, but everything else, Instagram, Clubhouse, Twitter, everything's at Gerald Webb with two B's. So you can get to me on any of those. My official website is GeraldWebb dot com, and then of course Stacks is StacksMovie dot com. So those are all the kind of places where you can find me and i'm really active on clubhouse i'm really active on twitter and instagram so i, I talk to people all the time and i love talking to people so if you awesome. truly if they have thoughts on stacks i really i really want to hear them
0: well we uh we would like to have you come on uh our clubhouse uh room as a follow-up to this episode after we drop it um so we'll sure. we'll we'll message you when when the date is determined on when we're putting this out and we'll have you on so people can listen to this episode and then join us there and ask you more questions that they felt like we, uh, dropped the ball on, I guess.
3: (laughs) Awesome. I mean, I, I, I love, I, I love the the openness of clubhouse and really people think like we get up on those stages and there's so many amazing people in the industry that are just getting up there, giving their time and helping so many people, but they also don't realize like we get so much out of being able to do that. Yeah. in a space where we think people are really taking that advice on. So I, I really am really thankful for the, for the platform. Especially yeah, it's a, it's a reminder to me space. of what
0: the internet's promise was once upon a yeah. time. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> right. It's the, so. it's the
0: antithesis of trolling, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Hopefully, trolling. hopefully it stays, stays the way it is as it grows. <laughs>
2: Yeah, One one can hope. (laughs) So, Gerald, my my go to question on this podcast, and I ask almost everybody because we've had magic happen on this show, is what is your dream production? What is something, whatever hat you want to be wearing? What is your dream thing that you want to have happen? And uh, please speak it out into the universe, because sometimes Um, it comes back to you.
3: Yeah, uh, I already know what it is. Um, I'm writing it right now. Um, I'm about 30 pages in on it. I can't say a ton about it, um, but it is a um, period piece about an activist that fought for equality many, 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 many years ago. And um, if I, I I would like to write and direct this project, um, and uh, it's it. it it speaks to who I am as a human being. So like, period, like if I did nothing else ever again in my life as a performer, if I can get this film written and shot uh, and out for the public to see, I would be able to lay down my, my, my life as a performer and a creator and be like, okay, I'm satisfied. Um, so I can't talk a lot about it because I don't want someone to try and like take my idea and <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, it would be because I, I really do think that it will resonate and will inspire so many other people, not because of me, but because the story itself is, is, is that inspiring. It's why I want to want to be a part of it. Awesome.
2: I love hearing about stuff like that. and now, I love you're already moving towards it. So you've already got the yeah. little seeds germinating. That's exciting. But, that, but that, that's
3: one of the things about creating, like if when the right thing comes and strikes you. You almost can't not act. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you're gonna be tearing yourself up in a way by not taking action on it. So there's times when something will come up and we'll sit on it and we'll sit on it and we'll sit on it and it never goes away. And we can let that be a year, three years, five years, 20 years. 17 years I, I know a couple on people. <laughs> yeah, I know a couple people who have projects that they're like, like, I wanna do this and it's it's eating them alive. And I'm saying to them, you have to move it forward somehow. Sometimes one of the big pitfalls I see is people don't let other people contribute to that, and that's sometimes why it stops. But it it, it won't go away if you if you don't take some sort of action. It's just going to really bother you and eat away at you and eat away at you. And hopefully, you figure out a way to move it forward before it it gets too late. Because sometimes people say it's never too late, but sometimes you do run out of you run out of time. Right.
0: Well, and we have run out we of time all for that this wind? episode.
3: <laughs> just got, like, super windy here. Spooky. spooky. Yeah, no, like, literally, the moment I stopped speaking, it was like, it still is. It's like...
0: <laughs> and your lights went out.
2: And now your lights just all went out.
0: <laughs> and he's frozen.
2: <laughs> Something happened.
0: Something happened. I think we lost him.
3: <laughs> Are you guys there? Yeah, yeah. we're still here. Yeah. Now you're, right, you're just so, completely black Power just went out.
1: <laughs> That's so I'm, crazy! I'm literally,
3: shooting it. There we go. It just popped back. It's like up and on and off, but like it literally just kicked up and everything just popped out. See, some, some
2: magic juju just happened.
3: It's crazy. A magic what? I don't magic I, juju. Juju.
2: <laughs> oh, oh. So, Steve was trying to make that a joke.
3: <laughs> I'll stay in the dark here. <laughs> Well, Gerald, well, uh, that's so funny. We Thank should let you, you, so you go, let go and on, Gerald. figure out your power issue. <laughs> I, 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 there's nothing for me to figure out. I just got to wait till the power company does their job. <laughs> yeah. right? But I, 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 I'll I, take the honor of hopefully being the, the first and only interview that ever ended in literally the power being cut. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> didn't end ours, really?
1: but we did have a power cut in the middle of it.
3: Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is the power went out and I'm like, look, I'm, I'm clicking the light switch. So like, Oh no, it's plugged into the wall. Dumb, <laughs> <like> <laughs> well, what's like, uh,
0: that you had that gush of wind before the power went out. So.
3: Yeah. It, it, I mean, and it was, I can't remember. I'm, I'm actually in Jersey right now. Um, just kind of taking care of some things for my mother and making sure some things around the house are handled. And, um, all right, here, we are. I'm going to put my flashlight on my other phone. And there we go. Like literally go. I'm sitting here in the dark. It was a Jersey uh, devil. Yeah, exactly. It's just so funny. But, uh, but yeah, so it's like, it's just kind of funny like that. I've never heard the wind that heavy here. It's crazy what just happened. So it was really spooky. I hope I didn't speak that up talking about like creating, but you know, it is funny though. You know, I like, you can take anything as a sign. So like, yeah, let me make that a sign that like, I got to get this film done. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> right. kind of funny.
2: Anything that's going to yeah. motivate you.
3: <laughs> yeah. We use whatever you got to use. Cause it's so hard. It's so difficult. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank I, you so I, much,
2: I, Gerald.
3: Yeah. Uh, David, Stephen, and Whitney, thank you so much for uh, Whitney, for reaching out and yeah, David and Stephen for having me. I really appreciate it. It was, it was actually fun. And anytime I can, Help you guys, please just let me know. I, David and I, I'd love to hear more about your films and stuff. I'd, I'd love to, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of into, you know, seeing what other people are up to. So
0: yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat on, uh, on Instagram and cool. go from there. Yeah, cool,
3: cool. All right, thanks, Joe. All
0: nice
1: right, thank all you so much. You. Let me go, let me go
3: check the power. <laughs> <laughs> Be safe, man. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye.
1: Hello, there, citizens. I am the terror that flats in the night. I am the floaty that will not flush no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck, telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm, <laughs> whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast
3: with your ears.